Good morning. It's certainly an honor, and uh, I don't, I'm not sure that anybody's more surprised than I am that, uh, that I'm here. God works in, in strange and wonderful ways, and uh, when I was asked several months ago to just pray about this, um, there was an awful lot of now but not yet in my life. And I'm, I'm just glad that you all have taken um, a lot of time, um, and many of you uh, away from your families. This is a big weekend, I understand. There's graduations this weekend and lots of parties, and so you're like, when is he done so I can get out of here? Uh, we have places to go, people to see, things to do. But I just wanted to give you thanks for many of you praying for us, praying for your elders. Um, there is much, much to give thanks for. As I said, this, um, this has been a season of our lives. And I say our, my, my family is here, my girls, my wife, um, my in-laws are here. Um, and for us, this has been um, wrestling. This has been struggling. This has been rejoicing. This has been waiting. There is a lot of life that is now, but it's not yet. Have you noticed that as soon as Thanksgiving is over, it's Christmas, but not yet? According to Walmart, it's Christmas right after Halloween, but that doesn't count. During the last days of school, it can feel like 90 degrees outside, and it might as well be summer, but not yet. When a lady is pregnant, she has a child, but she can't hold it yet. In some schools, I don't know if, if your high schools are like this, but in mine, when I graduated high school, I was on the graduation stage. I was handed a folder, but it was empty just in case something bad happened to my grades and I didn't get my diploma. I was graduated, but not yet. And when I was thinking about what to share with you all this morning, I immediately just, for some reason, I glanced over at my wall and there hung my calendar, and I realized we're smack dab between Passover and Pentecost. We're right in between Easter and the launch of the church. We're in between the, the last part of Luke and the first part of Acts. This is the in-between time. This is the point where Jesus is risen from the grave, but not yet ascended. And in Acts chapter 1, and if you've got your Bibles, if you've got your device, if you've got your phone, whatever you've got your Bible on, go ahead and grab that thing and open up to Acts chapter 1. The disciples, all the followers of Jesus, were in a really big now, but now what stage. And in this introduction, Luke begins this way. In my former book, Theophilus, that's the Gospel of Luke, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days 
and spoke about the kingdom of God. Forty days. Forty days to hang out with the risen Christ. How cool would that be? You just didn't know when he was going to show up through a wall or something. And what did he talk about? If you, if I hadn't just read this, and if I were to ask you, you try to encapsulate all of Jesus' message in just a few words. What was it that Jesus spoke of? How did he teach? What did he say? And I think many of us would say, well, he spoke of the love of God and the love of neighbor. Well, he spoke of do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Or maybe it was seeking and saving the lost. How many of us at first glance would say that encapsulating all of Jesus' teaching would be the kingdom of God? You think about it, that's what he started with. In Matthew, Mark, and Luke, some of the first words out of Jesus' mouth were, repent, for the kingdom of God is near. It's here. It's coming. But it's not yet. I don't know. We don't have a whole lot, if any, of these things that Jesus spoke to his disciples those 40 days about the kingdom of God. I wonder, did he rehash everything he ever taught about the kingdom or was it all new material? Or was it one of those where he would say, remember what I said about, and they would say, oh yeah, that, that makes sense now. For 40 days, it was light bulbs going off in their heads, like, because they didn't get it, did they? They just perpetually were clueless. But then, I think they started to understand. It's interesting to go through the Gospels and see every time the word kingdom is mentioned. Jesus tells us what the kingdom is like. He tells us who gets in and who doesn't. He tells us about the nature of the kingdom, its location, its time frame, the glory that was to come. When we hear the English word kingdom, we primarily think of a place, a political structure with boundary lines, maybe a wall, something with a castle, a British accent, you know, a um, something medieval, right? We think of a kingdom like that. But in the biblical author's mind, kingdom was more, much more than that. Kingdom of God meant the rule of God, the reign of God, the authority of the creator. You, you think of other words in the English language that end with D-O-M. Boredom is the state of being bored, right? Martyrdom is the condition you're in when you've been martyred. Kingdom is the place you're at when you've been um, kinged. When you've been ruled, when you've been, had your, you submit to an authority. You belong to a kingdom. Luke tells us about the kingdom in these terms. In chapter 1, he said the kingdom, Jesus' kingdom, will never end. In chapter 4, 33, this kingdom, he says, is good news. Luke 12, 32, I'm going to fly through these. The kingdom, God intends to give us the kingdom. We inherit the kingdom. 
And in 1720, in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus says, the kingdom doesn't come in ways you can observe. The kingdom of God is in the middle of you, in the midst of you, within you. Now, it's one thing to do a word study on kingdom, and that's an awesome thing to do. I would encourage you in all of your spare time to do that someday. But what if we read Scripture, the entirety of Scripture, through the lens of here's what it means to function under the rule of the king? Let's just take three short chapters in the Gospel of Matthew. If you want to flip to Matthew 5, we're just going to fly through the Sermon on the Mount. And I mean fly, okay? They only gave me a few minutes up here. What does Jesus say the kingdom looks like? Well, if you start with Matthew 5, it's a kingdom where the poor are wealthy, where the sad are happy, where the peaceful conquer, where the hungry are filled. Those willing to show grace are given grace. The visionaries are the ones who see reality. Those working for peace are in God's family, and the losers win. Kingdom citizens are called salt and light, to a world of rotten darkness. The kingdom of heaven, which is Matthew's favorite phrase to use, is filled with people who have a heightened sense of the motivation behind their sin. The heart of murder is anger. The beginning of adultery is lust. A liar is marked by how honest he tries to sound. Revenge is best served upside down in the form of irrational generosity and good deeds like giving and fasting are best done without anyone knowing about it except the Father. Kingdom people love those who hate them. They bless those who persecute them. They pray that the kingdom will come. They pray God's will be done right here just like it is where he is. Now, just stop there. Can you imagine, could I imagine if we just prayed like that? If consistently prayed, God's will be done right here, just like it is in the throne room, how much different might my decision-making be? I might even end up being mature and complete, just like my Heavenly Father is perfect. Kingdom people have their hearts on things above. They don't hoard stuff for the sake of security in this life. They live life with an open hand toward others with what they've been given. And as a result, their eyes are open. They're full of light. They're certain of what is real. And they have no worries about things like tomorrow, food, clothes, income, retirement, money markets. It doesn't mean they just sit around and wait for God to do all the work. It just means they're content. They're not anxious for what they don't have. They see God feeding birds And they're like, okay, well, God can take care of me. And they see God clothing the flowers of the field, which is here today and gone tomorrow. And they say, well, I guess God will take care of me just like that. They pray, give us this daily bread. And they're okay. The priority of a kingdom citizen is obviously God's agenda for the kingdom. He is the king after all. This is what we seek first and foremost If we're anxious and fretful over how God will provide for us in the basics, we show we don't trust our king. We're seeking to build a kingdom of our own, of our own making. 
If we don't trust God to provide food and clothes, how will we ever seek after him for deeper truth, purpose, eternal life, following the mission he's given us? Don't worry about tomorrow because we're so focused on him and his agenda and his righteousness. Kingdom people know where they've come from, the sins they've been forgiven, so they look at with understanding and grace on others who struggle. They're mindful of the log sticking out of their own eye when they see a piece of sawdust sticking in somebody else's eye. Kingdom people are promised audience with the Father, King, and they're invited to continually ask things of the Father, always seeking the things of God, always knocking so that he will answer And the kingdom is made of people who will walk the narrow path that leads to life. They can sniff out fake followers by discerning the results of their actions, and they continually build on the words and teachings of Jesus, not just listening, not just learning, but doing and following through, actually obeying what the king says. We just walked through Matthew 5, 6, and 7 through the lens of what does it like to live in the kingdom of God. You see what can happen when we read Scripture, not just for information, not just for doing good, but as an indicator of who we are as kingdom subjects. But we have a problem here, don't we? We're Americans. (laughs) We left the monarchy, didn't we, a few hundred years ago? We vote our leaders in. Or we vote them out. If there's a president sitting in the Oval Office, it's because, well, the good majority of people put him or her there. And though if you're, if you're upset about who's in there, you probably voted for somebody else. Either way, we view our elected officials, local, state, and federal, they work for us. And we're subject to laws that they make, but our forefathers came to this land to get away from absolute power that corrupts absolutely. And so we don't relate to kingdom talk as much. We don't have a king here. Increasingly in our culture, people with authority are looked at with disdain and rebellion. But Jesus spoke of a kingdom. And that meant a king. And the church is not a representative government. We have one Lord and Master that we submit to, and then we submit to one another out of love and unity. If you and I are a part of the kingdom, who is Lord? Do we view God as working for us? Or have we given our lives and our allegiance and our obedience to his rule and reign? I appreciated, I've been listening to, uh, to messages on your website, and I appreciated what Aaron said a few weeks ago about the contrast between Jesus as Savior and Jesus as Lord. He's both. He is absolutely both. But his point was, if you remember, Scripture makes it clear where the emphasis is. That, correct me if I'm wrong, Aaron, but he referred, Jesus is referred to as Lord over 20 times as much as he's referred to as Savior. We like the Savior part. We do. We preach the Savior part, and we should. We talk the Savior part up because people need a Savior. 
but they also need to walk into a relationship where Jesus is Lord. Not just get their ticket punched to heaven and live however they want until they're dead. That's not the gospel. As Christians, we don't just attend a church that has great programs for our kids or provides services for us. We're subjects of a king. That word subject has surrender and submission all over it. Jesus was a servant. He invited us to follow in his footsteps. A Christian is, by definition, a little Christ. Christ always joyfully and willingly, lovingly submitted to the will of the Father. We give our love, our lives, our will to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of his beloved Son. If that's true for you, he's not only your savior, he's your master. He is our Lord and King. And there is no dual citizenship here. When my wife was young, she moved from Canada, where she was born, to the U.S. And the U.S., if I'm remembering, I don't remember because I wasn't there. But they, they wouldn't honor your Canadian citizenship just because you were born there from American citizens. The U.S. said, nope. No dual citizenship. It's the same here, no dual citizenship. Jesus said we're either for him or against him. He said you can't serve both God and money. What does light have to do with darkness? You can't put your hand to the plow, look back, and expect to plow a straight furrow. Some of us, just because we're trying to get better, we we do. We try to serve two masters, and it just creates a divided heart. It creates anxiety and shame and guilt that eventually, most of the time, if the tug of war doesn't let up, if we don't surrender, people sometimes just fall away from God. There are too many of us out there that equate kingdom living with perfect church attendance. When I talk, about, when I talk to people about living for the Lord it seems they automatically say, well, I don't really go to church all that much. You know, I'm not talking to you about your church attendance. I'm talking to you about who is Lord of your life. Now, I'm not all about church attendance. You know, it's kind of what we do. But it's living out your identity in Christ all seven days of the week by the power of the Spirit. Being a part of a church family on a local level isn't a have to. That was a surprise to a couple I was counseling before their wedding because they weren't churchgoers, and I was encouraging them to, to you know, just try attending church. And they said, well, we, you know, we just don't, we don't have to do that, do we? And I said, no, you get to. <laughs> I mean, attending a church in a local congregation, in a, in a family situation, if it's a have to, you're missing something. It's a, I can't believe I get to be a part of a family that is making a huge difference in our community. Bumps, bruises, warts, whatever. I know we don't get each other sometimes. And I'm so glad to talk to all of you all at once, in, you know, in one room. I, I really like what Paul says in Romans 14. Romans 14, verse 17, he says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of what we eat or drink. 
It's living a life of goodness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. If you serve Christ with this attitude, you will please God and others will approve of you too. So then, let us aim for harmony in the church and building each other up. Another part of kingdom living is unity. And I appreciated what Clayton brought to this. Unity. Acting like we're on the same team. Going the same direction. Having the same goal. Carrying out a common mission. It doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter how much money you make or don't make. Where you live. What school you attend. What color you are. Or what kind of music you like. Or who you voted for. If you're under the name of Christ, we are one. And we live in harmony, and we build each other up. We are not just passive citizens of this kingdom. Each of us, all of you, have been uniquely called and equipped to play a part in building it, in growing it, in establishing it in your own homes, in your workplaces, with your children, your grandchildren, in your neighborhood, wherever you are, you have been called to build this kingdom. It's here, but it's not fully realized. We're forgiven, but not fully restored. Death is defeated, but not entirely eliminated. Heaven came to earth, but creation isn't altogether healed. Jesus loved the whole world, but the whole world doesn't know yet. There's a phrase I've carried around a long time that I'll start to wind this down with. If you spend more time telling people who they are, you won't have to work so hard telling them what to do. If you spend more time telling people who they are in Christ, you won't have to spend nearly as much time telling them what not to do. Action flows from identity. Who you think you are will determine how you act. Are you a citizen of the kingdom of God? Do you see yourself serving the great and mighty king who brought you, who bought you at the price of his own son? Do you see yourself entrusted with resources and gifts and a mission to carry out? Do you live with the reality that this king has given you his very spirit to live within you to do this? His spirit to guide you, to teach you, to comfort you, to correct you, and that you can carry out the priorities and the work of the king right where you are? Or, do you see yourself primarily as a consumer who has authority issues looking for the best church to fit your needs and schedule? You can find one of those, but I think you'd be missing out. I would propose one of the first things Jesus ever said to you, repent. <laughs> Turn your brain around. You're a part of the kingdom. The kingdom is here. Come on board. Or you might be in a different category altogether where you see yourself as such an unworthy mess that God couldn't even care or love you. You think, oh, this kingdom talk is really great, but that's not for me because he would not even want me in that. I'm here to tell you you've been listening to the wrong voices. You think you're that, but they're lying to you. 
you have been called, if you've identified as the lost son or daughter that needs to come home but doesn't think you can, are you presently outside the kingdom? You need to be aware. There is an open door for you, even yet today, that you could respond to. You need to know the King of Kings has made a way for you to be a part of his family, to sit at his table, to enjoy the rewards, to take on the responsibility and the privilege of a chosen son or daughter. He's called you his friends. Let's pray together. God, our Father, our King, our Savior, our Creator and Lord, thank you so much for the good news of the kingdom that through this message, through this living word, you've invited us and you've made a way not only to be saved, but to be joyfully within the protective realm of your kingdom with something to do. People to talk to, neighbors to love, needy to care for, the lonely to visit, the thirsty to give drink, the prisoner to visit and to encourage. All these things that are priorities in the kingdom, you've given us ability to do and a call to do it. So I pray that your spirit would be working on each of us wherever we're at to respond to that call. In Jesus' powerful name, we all said, amen.